When there are an infinite amount of female struggles, you decide to do a podcast about them. Emma Jo, Real Davis, and in each episode of this podcast, I take a subject by the horns and rip it to shreds. This is the podcast that isn't afraid to talk about any struggle you've had as a woman, from struggling with your body image. You do get some people commenting, saying, like, you look like a man and women shouldn't look like this. And actually, I love it when I've got a six pack. To wondering whether marriage is the right thing for you. To say that I'm committing myself to you for the rest of my life until my last breath... That just seems like a really stupid thing to say. So even having a cervical smear test. I need to yeah. take my trousers and my knickers off. Yeah. Ooh. Let me know if it hurts. Oh, blimey. That wasn't the end of the world. And that's it. Done. Oh, my gosh, is that it? I'm in shock at how easy it was. This is The Female Struggle Is Real. So in this episode of The Female Struggle Is Real, we are going to be talking about sexual assault. I really wanted to do a podcast about this. Um, I wasn't really quite sure how to go about it, but the more that keeps coming out in the news, the more I wanted to do it. So we're going to be hearing from a variety of people. I'll tell you a bit more about that in a minute. Um, I probably should warn you that some of the content you're going to hear today might be quite disturbing. Um, So just to let you know, I'd love to hear your stories as well. Obviously, only if you feel comfortable enough, you can email me thefemalestruggle at gmail.com. I'm sure a lot of you have got an opinion on this or a story uh, that you might want to share. It's such a horrible thing to talk about and uh, obviously incredibly important that we do. There's so much to this subject, uh, so many stories. You know, as soon as I sort of mentioned to a couple of people, oh, I'm going to do a podcast about sexual assault, the stories I've heard, they're just horrific. And it's I think what I found so mind-blowing is that everyone has something, you know, whether, whether you've been a victim, whether you've, you know, possibly you're the opposite, you're the perpetrator, but you have sort of pushed yourself a little bit far and now you're realising that that was the wrong thing to do. Um, it's really brought all those things to light, which I think is a good thing. I think I think it's a good thing um, and you'll be hearing why uh, shortly. First of all, I want to speak to um, a charity, really. I thought, you know, what better way to start a podcast about sexual assault than talking to someone who can help those that have suffered with sexual assault. So I'm going to be speaking to Neil. He's the CEO of Safeline, who are a rape, um, sexual abuse and sexual assault charity. Hopefully he can tell us about what actually defines sexual assault, because I know a lot of people are finding it's a complete grey area at the moment, um, and what they do to help at Safeline. Then I'm going to be chatting to my sister. Um, I wanted to uh, include this bit in the podcast, because what I found so mind-blowing is that so many people have got a story and how it just happens to literally everyone, you know, I guarantee if you go up to any woman on the street, or men for that matter as well, you know, we must remember that it happens to men too. Um, They could provide you with at least one story of some sort of sexual harassment or sexual assault. And, you know, I'm not talking about uh, some of the horrific things that Harvey Weinstein did, for example. But even, you know, having your bum grabbed in a club. I mean, how many times has that happened to you? Because personally, that happens to me virtually every time I go out. And, you know, me and my sister, we're, we're pretty open. We're incredibly close. Uh, I just wanted to chat to her and sort of hear about 
what happened to her really it was a long time ago as were all these things but you know it's it's this sort of stuff in the news that gets us talking about them then I'm going to hear from um, a girl called Chloe. Um, I have actually used a fake name for her. She wants to remain anonymous. She was quite severely sexually assaulted um, and she wanted to share her story on the podcast. So um, you're going to hear her story later. And then last of all, uh, this is a bit strange. You're going to hear from a guy that actually sexually assaulted me. Again, I must state that it wasn't at all a a severe incident. Um, You know, whether you can even call it assault, I don't know. I'm not defending him, but I just want to make it clear that um, obviously some cases are a lot worse than others. And I don't want um, you to think that I'm putting myself up there with some of the victims of, say, Harvey Weinstein. That's not what I'm trying to do at all. The reason I want to do this is because um, when... Uh, the Harvey Weinstein case first came out, he actually, this guy, actually sent me an apology on Twitter, completely out of the blue. We're not friends anymore, we don't speak. But he sent me this message and apologised for an incident that happened back in my first year of university. I asked him um, whether he would mind coming on the podcast and actually talking uh, about the incident and talking about why he apologised to me because I thought it was important to hear from a perpetrator, if you will, someone that has been involved from the other side. Not so much to hear his side, but to hear how it makes him feel, um, to hear how he uh, thinks about what he's done in the past and to hear about how he'll hopefully change in the future. Again, um, to keep him anonymous, I have given him a fake name. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on in the podcast. But first of all, um, let's talk to Neil, uh, who is the CEO of Safeline. Hello, Neil. Hello. How are you, Emma? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Um, So obviously, uh, with all the recent news and everything that's been going on, uh, I'm assuming you've probably been very busy recently, haven't you? Yes, we have. Incredibly busy. Um, we tend to find that when you get big news stories like Harvey Weinstein or what's happening in Parliament, we get spikes in the number of calls and contacts to our helpline. And over the last four weeks, uh, calls to the helpline has increased by about 100%. So um, it's huge, absolutely huge. So um, Safeline is a charity, obviously, that helps those that have been victims of uh, sexual abuse or rape. Um, can you actually sort of define like, you know, in your words, what sexual assault actually is? Yeah, at Safeline, we define sexual abuse as um, uh, an undesired sexual behaviour by one person on another. Um, Force is often immediate, it's of short duration and it can be infrequent, but um, um, it's it's primarily um, an undesired sexual behaviour from one person to another with, with no consent. So that can be literally anything, can't it? From something uh, as small as sort of pressuring someone into sending uh, naked pictures to actually sort of being uh, physically touched when it's unwanted. Yeah, it could be anything. It could be touching, fondling of the genitals to, um, um, to sexual intercourse, um, penetration. Um, it's, it's as wide as that, yeah. Um, and I know this may seem like a silly question in some ways, But how does being sexually assaulted actually affect someone's life? Like, I'm assuming, obviously, you meet a real variety of people from very different situations. Um, But just some of those sort of symptoms that uh, those victims might suffer from. 
Oh, the, the impact of sexual abuse, it's, you know, we, it's devastating and it's long-lasting. And it can affect people in a whole host of ways. It can affect them uh, psychologically, so anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, uh, self-destructive tendencies such as suicide, alcohol, drug abuse. Um, it's, it's reckoned that 15% of all suicides are related to sexual abuse and that 10% of all drug and alcohol abuse is related to sexual abuse. Um, so the impact is absolutely uh, devastating. It can also affect people physically, uh, so unwanted pregnancy, pregnancies, it can get headaches and migraines, sexually transmitted infections. It affects people socially, uh, strained relationships with family, friends. I mean, you can imagine if the abuse takes place within a family, the destruction of trust is irreparable. So um, it's, it's frightening. And of course, what can happen is that People can be isolated from the, the family as well if, you know, it, it happens within the, the, uh, the family situation. It affects people financially. Um, a lot of people that uh, phone Safeline or work with Safeline say that they can't keep a job down. They find it very difficult to go to work, so there's loss of earnings. Um, you know, they've got increased costs with counselling, medical expenses. Um, so it affects every aspect of their life. It's it's the most debilitating thing that you can ever imagine. And that's what kind of drives us at Safeline, that nobody really begins to understand the prevalence of it within our communities and the, the damaging impact it has. You know, we had a 91-year-old person phone us last week on the helpline. They've lived with their abuse for 80 years. Oh, gosh. 80 years. And the average number of people or the average number of years that people wait is between 30 and 50 years to come forward and seek support. So every day they're living with those feelings and it can be triggered by a, somebody they see, it can be triggered by a piece of music, somewhere they visit. It's just, it's the most horrible thing. Um, it's interesting you, you touch on that, um, uh, what you just said about a lot of people take quite a long time to come forward. And I think for me personally, that's what's been quite interesting with all the recent news is a lot of people say, well, hang on, why is it only just coming out now? Why haven't these people, you know, if it's affected them yeah. so badly, why, has, why haven't they gone to the police before or said anything before? But it's much more complicated than that, than that oh, isn't it? Much, yeah, and, and what you're seeing with the likes of Harvey Weinstein and probably in any other situation is... A, a power thing, you know, that, you know, if you're an actor trying to make your way in Hollywood, you know, you've got a guy like Harvey Weinstein, it can make or break your career. So a lot of people don't come forward because of the power that other people have over them. And that happens not only in the movie world, but it's happening in Parliament and it happens in commercial environments. But the other aspects as well, as I say, is that a sexual abuse crime it's very embarrassing and quite humiliating. You know, the first thing you think is you, you'll never be believed. And that's one of the biggest things that all our clients that work with us really quote as number one, is that they just do not believe they will be believed. You know, the first question will be asked, well, you must have provoked them or, and, you know, teased them or you must have been drunk or you must have been dressing provocatively. And it's that fear of embarrassment and humiliation and not being believed that's one of the major barriers for people coming forward. Um, so it's a combination, as I say, of this power thing, you know. Uh, when somebody speaks up, it kind of unleashes, you know, that, you know, everybody then wants to talk. But, you know, it's embarrassment, it's humiliation, the fear of not being believed, um, 
being under the control of other people. It's a major thing. Um, and we know for a fact that one in three people don't disclose their abuse. Um, so with the numbers that we do see in the press um, and in other forms of life are, are always underestimated. Um, we do a lot of prevention work in school and we get disclosures every project that we run. Young kids will come forward with some of the most horrible things that's happening to them. But nobody knows about it because they talk about not trusting the suits and the uniforms. They just won't tell people in positions of authority, again, for the same reasons that they just don't think they'll be believed or not taken seriously. But they will tell people like our project coordinators who they build a high level of trust with and they know who are independent. Um, it, this is everywhere. This is everywhere. Eight million women, five million men. That's what they talk about. And those figures are probably underestimated as well. It's just mad. As soon as you start talking to your friends about it, the things that come out, you just can't believe, yeah, you know, between absolutely. a small group of you, how many times, you know, I'm talking about sort of relatively minor things uh, in, in the great scheme of things, but even those things affect you to a certain degree. So, yeah, yeah it's terrifying, really. Um, it, it is. So can you tell me a little bit about what you do at Safeline to help and protect those that have suffered uh, from sexual assault or abuse? You know, if someone uh, either rings your phone line, your helpline or, um, you know, contacts you via email, what would be the first steps that you'd do to help them? Well, the, the first thing we do is, is always advise people who have been in this situation to contact our helpline. Our helpline is run by the most wonderful group of um, counsellors. And what they do is provide immediate emotional support to anybody that's been affected. There's a lot of helplines who will try and pressurise you into reporting to the police, but we find that, you know, people are contacting us because they want to be listened to, they want to be believed, and that's what we do at Safeline. So we've got trained counsellors there who will speak to people, they'll listen to people, they'll support them, um, and they'll give them the emotional support they need to come to terms with what's happened. If they then want to have more long, longer um, support, such as counselling, then we will provide that. And Safeline provides face-to-face counselling, um, but we also provide online counselling because a lot of people find it very difficult to talk to somebody face-to-face about what's happened. Sometimes they like the anonymity of, a, of phone counselling or, or even text or email counselling because they feel they can be a lot more honest because, you know, they, they feel they're being judged less. Um, we talk about the disinhibition effect that text and phone counselling can have. Um, so we provide, as I say, emotional support. Then we can provide the longer-term counselling support by face-to-face counselling or online. We also help people report their abuse to the police. Um, if they choose to report to the police, we'll support them because that's one of the most traumatic things that you can ever do. So we'll help them report to the police, and then if it goes to court, we'll help them through the, the criminal justice system so that they can give their best evidence because that's incredibly traumatic. We um, have uh, training, so we train professionals, we train parents on how to identify um, the signs of abuse so that we can stop it from happening in the first place or we can support people more effectively. Um, so it's a wide range of services that we provide. And, you know, what's wonderful is that we've got a wide comprehensive range of services so that people don't need to go elsewhere for support or different types of support. And they don't need to retell the story again, which can be very traumatic. Um, 
I'm very, very proud of the people that support Safeline. They're, they're, they're top-notch at what they do. Um, and we know from the feedback we get from clients that we do help them cope and recover from this terrible, terrible thing. Well, Neil, I can I can honestly uh, tell how passionate you are, obviously, about this subject in your charity. And I commend you. It sounds like you do absolutely incredible work and, and everyone that works for Safeline as well. Um, of course, if you're listening and you have suffered from any of the things we've been talking about, you can go to the website right now, uh, www.safeline.org.uk. And there are so many different ways that you can get help. Like Neil has been saying, uh, there's a phone number you you can uh, email, live chat, you can go on your mobile. Uh, so, yeah, I suppose what you're saying is, Neil, that, you know, obviously it's easier said than done, but try not to be scared and and it's OK to contact you and get some help. It is. And I would add that, that one, it's free of charge, two, it's anonymous, three, it's independent. So, you know, we're, we're an authentic, trusted organisation. Um, and our stance is that we don't judge. We believe the people that call us. So um, I would urge people to get that help they need. Um, thank you for helping us and helping us promote the work we do. Because that's been one of the biggest challenges we've had. People just don't know where to go for specialist support. So you doing this is, is a huge help to, you know, the, the millions of people that are out there who have been affected by this subject. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Neil. It's been lovely to speak to you. Very uh, enlightening as well. Some of those statistics, like I said, absolutely horrific. So um, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Take care. The work Neil and his team are doing at Safeline is just absolutely amazing. I mean, what a tough job. Um, but like I said a moment ago, if um, you are suffering yourself with any of these problems we're talking about today, please, please uh, get to their website. It's www.safeline.org.uk. Uh, like he said, it's all confidential um, and you can contact them in numerous different ways. You don't just have to phone, you can email, you can live chat, you can text, I think. Um, so please, please check them out. So as I keep saying, I think the thing that's really come across uh, in the news recently is that sexual harassment and sexual assault is so common. I want to make it clear that we're not talking about rape here. Um, That's a very different thing. But sexual assault, being touched uh, when you don't want to be without consent without permission that is a form of sexual assault i suppose what's good about um everything coming out in the press is that it has encouraged so many more uh, young women and men to share their stories you know whether that's like with a family member or with friends it's really like started conversations uh well across the world really you know i'm sure i'm not the only one who sat around uh the dinner table with my family or whatever and it's come up in conversation and and you know there are certain stories that have happened to me certain things that have happened to me that i've told my mum and dad and they um, you know, will have had absolutely no idea these sort of things have happened because it's not the sort of thing if something happens on a night out I don't want to ring up my mum the next day and be like, Mum, guess what happened to me last night? Some guy grabbed my bum repeatedly and wouldn't stop and I got really annoyed. Do you know what I mean? But but the fact that it's all happening now in the news has caused them to ask uh, me and my sister, uh, you know, whether anything like this has happened to us. It's got people talking in the workplace. I think a lot of people feel more confident to talk about it now, which is great. Um, and that's why I wanted to play you this like chat I had really with my sister. We were sort of clearing up our Sunday roast uh, the other week and uh, I asked her about an incident uh, that happened to her when she was quite young. Right, here you go, Els. Thank you, Em. 
You know all this like sexual assault stuff? Yeah. It reminded me a little bit of, um, do you remember when you worked at the museum? Oh yeah, my, my gap year. What, what happened again? So I've been working there for like, must have been about seven months or something. It was like quite a long time. Yeah. And there was this guy, obviously there was like quite a good core of people. We'd always be like on shift together and stuff. But um, there were quite a few of us like, I don't know, like younger people, like three or four of us and we were all like really good friends and things. Yeah, so there, then this guy at work as well, you know, he was like quite sweet, like in his 40s, 50s, like really friendly. But then like sometimes it would just go like a little bit beyond friendly or be so overly friendly and like come and like find you on shift or something and be like overly, you know, give you like slightly too much attention, that kind of thing. So what do you mean, like in what way? So just like overly chatty, you know, we just like go on about like how beautiful we all looked and don't know, just try and like come and find you, even if it's like a really busy shift, just like try, come and find you and like try and like make time for you and like make time to chat, even though he was like supposedly my boss. Um, and he was your boss? Well, he was like, yeah, more senior than me. Okay. So he would like, he kind of had like the power to be like, oh, like, come on, let's have a um, break for half an hour and have a cup of tea together kind of thing. So it'd be like a little bit like that. So he could like make time for us to like socialise together. Right. Anyway, so it was one morning actually. And it's slightly weird, I got this text one morning from this like, random number, like as soon as I woke up, just being like, oh, woke up this morning to this beautiful sunshine and it made me think of you, like can't wait to see you later on for, for our shift together, like really looking forward to it. What? And it was just so weird and I was like, what, like who is this? Like, it was just a completely random number that time. Never had a text from before. Yeah. I was just so weird. Anyway, so I went into work and then this guy was there and he was like, Oh, did you get my text? And I was like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how did you get my number? So hang on, so you didn't realise it was him then until this point? Yeah, until this point when he was like, Did you get my text? And I was like, um, Yeah, yeah, like, how did you get my number? Like, that's really weird. I'm, I'm never giving you my number and I would, would never have given him my, my number. He was like, oh, I just, um, I took it off the contact sheet for work, like, with everyone's numbers on it. Oh, my God. Which is, like, so bad. Like, he just, like, it found my name just because he could, like, had access to this contact sheet. He, like, just took my number and then started using it for personal reasons, not for work reasons. And he hadn't told you about it? He hadn't... No, 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 he hadn't He'd never told asked me. you he out just, like, or anything? He never asked me for my number, which I obviously wouldn't have given him anyway. Like, I wanted to give him that impression. Yeah. He'd just taken it. Anyway, so this was really weird, and there were times when we would be like on our own together on shift. So I remember, like straight after this, I think maybe he could like organise the shifts as well. And then there was one time again where I'd we were just doing another event or something, and I just cut my finger. Okay. And I went downstairs to the kitchen just to get a plaster and be like, 
you know, obviously just put a plaster on myself. Like, I didn't need any assistance or help. I was, like, absolutely fine just putting a plaster on, like, you know, no fuss made. Yeah. Anyway, so I remember going into the office to get a plaster and he'd, like, followed me down or something and he just, like, happened to be there. And, um... He was determined to, like, put this plaster on my finger for me. Right. It was, like, really weird. I think it was, like, a bit of an excuse to, like, get, like, weird physical contact. I'm not sure. It was all very strange. But anyway, so he, like, insisted on putting this plaster on me. Okay. And I just found it, like, the most awkward situation in the world. So, like, I think think he'd, like got the plaster and, like, started, like, it sounds so silly, but, like, started undoing it. And then I was, like, no, it's okay. Like, I'll put this... I'll put it on, like, it's fine. I'm okay. Anyway, so what happened then was I kept getting these text messages, kept getting these text messages, and I just started to feel, like, really uncomfortable, especially when we, it was just the two of us. Yeah, of course. Um, and what, what, what was he saying in these text messages? Like, was he being sort of, like, really sort of persistent? He was being, like, really persistent, really... Um, like unprofessional, obviously. Really but... unprofessional. Um... Yeah, really unprofessional. Like, nothing of a very, like, overly, like, sexual nature, but it would be kind of very unprofessional things. Right, okay. So, saying, you know, oh, like, love spending my shift with you today, like, have the most amazing time. Or he would text me on shift being, like, where are you? Like, let's have lunch together. Things like that that would just, like, beyond our relationship or yeah. his relationship with anyone else and, and a relationship that I you know didn't want yes and I obviously like had made never that clear. Ad- yeah I'd always made that clear that that's exactly like what I didn't want um with that person so I spoke to mum and dad about this um because again like he was texting me out of like working hours as well, like late at night or like first thing in the morning, and it was all like a bit strange, you know. Especially again, as I said, like because we were working like quite closely together quite a lot of the time, and um, and so they immediately just said, "Well, you should you should tell someone, you should tell your line manager." Um, so I spoke to my manager, and they immediately said, "Oh, oh, he's done it to you as well." Like, straight really? away. Yeah, he, they straight away, they were like, oh, he's done it to you as well. And they were like, oh, yeah, this is a recurring problem. He's, like, he's been like this with, like, quite a lot of, like, the casual staff. They knew this was a problem. It hadn't been stopped in the past, you know. And they told me that he, I think he had had a formal warning before, but nothing beyond that. And it, even though it keeps happening, you know, he still only had a formal warning but he still managed to, like, be doing the same job with the same people and being, like, allowed to carry on in this way. Um, so, anyway, so I was kind of disgusted by this and I said, like, I really want, like, a formal, formal meeting about this. Like, I'm really not comfortable. This isn't right. Like, I was only 16. I was quite young, like, 16 or 17. So I was really not comfortable working this way. I'd been working there for quite a long time and I still had, like... I knew I still would be working there for about five months or something, and I just, I just felt really uncomfortable in the situation. I did really, really scared. Yeah, because the other thing was like we'd get a taxi back together sometimes, and he lived quite close to where I lived, so we'd even though we'd like take quite a few people home first 
Anyway, we'd still always be like the last two people left in a taxi, like every time we went back. And just like things like that were just, I felt very uncomfortable doing. Anyway, so I called this former meeting with my boss. And so I went in and we sat down and we went through like all this like rigmarole of like what's happened and like, and them, you know, trying to explain themselves and explain why they hadn't really previously done anything about it. And, well, it kind of was never resolved. Um, so in this meeting, my boss just said to me, she said, you know, she was very understanding and she said, oh, you know, this isn't right. She, she knew this wasn't right. She knew, um, you know, he was acting in a very unprofessional way. But the result was that they kind of didn't put me on shift with him alone, just the two of us. But they said beyond that, if it was making me so uncomfortable, then I would have to leave. Really? Yeah. That is absolutely yeah. awful. They were basically like, if you've got a problem with this man, with this man, constantly and they harassing said, oh, you, constantly harassing you me, need to, you, you need, need to, to leave. And this was like, uh, you know, council establishment. This was a council museum. Museum. Yeah. I'm sure Ellie's not the only one that has got a story similar to that. So if you would like to uh, contribute anyway, or if you've got a story yourself you'd like to share, please, please feel free to send me a little email, struggle at gmail.com, or you can send me a tweet at Davis E-M-J-O, real, R-E-A-L, Davis. That's exactly what Chloe did, and uh, I'm going to speak to her now. Obviously, so that Chloe remains anonymous, uh, we have changed her name and changed her voice too. Hello, Chloe, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. So, um, thank you very much for your message that you sent me on Twitter. Could you tell me what happened to you? Um, Yes, Uh, so this happened about three years ago. I was... um like many of these sorts of these stories kind of start, I was on a night out um, and uh, I was having a dance. I was, um, you know, wearing what you would wear on a night out. And um, because of, uh, yeah, because we were out of of my friends and having a good time, we were drinking. um, So I was obviously in quite a vulnerable position, but um, towards the end of the night, I met some people who I didn't know and the people that I was with thought that I knew them. So I was really quite out of control at this point. I was blacking out and I wasn't really, because of other things that were going on in my life, I wasn't really in a very good place and I was really, really vulnerable. And unfortunately, I was actually by myself. Um, I was left by myself with these guys who I didn't know. And the next thing I know, I was with these two guys um, in a taxi and brought... um, to, a, to their home, to a, a random home, and um, I found myself really quite trapped um, with these two men and not really knowing what I could do, and without going into lots and lots of details, um, it was a really, um, I, was in a, in, I was in a bedroom, I was really, really not feeling very good, very comfortable, feeling really quite scared and really vulnerable. Things went on from there, people, you know, tried to do things and tried to kind of, you know... Uh, do things with me and I I didn't want to do it so I said no and at this point one of the men left and the other one stayed and um, and then I remember sleeping and waking up and that was when I was sexually um, assaulted um, after saying that I didn't want to do anything so at the time because I was you know drunk and because I 
wasn't really aware of of what was going on around me I sort of dismissed it as you know it was my fault and you know I was the one to blame because I got myself into that situation because because I had too much to drink but at the same time feeling very sort of dirty feeling really guilty and really just really um uh traumatized by the situation I kind of realized like I had to you know go and see um check about you know sexual health clinics and things and just make sure that everything was okay and that whole experience brought it up and made me realize actually the position that I was in was wasn't wasn't one where I'd consented and it felt very uh like a gray area to actually what happened that night and um so the whole story kind of just I can talk about it more easily now but I think at the time and certainly in in the year or so that followed I was very kind of um afraid actually and that yeah the whole thing just comes back to when people are in a vulnerable position that taking advantage of them is you know a form of sexual harassment I think doesn't always get noticed or get understood and often the, the woman is made to feel like she's done something wrong by wearing a certain item of clothing or dancing in a particular way and that somehow is the consent that but it's not so um yeah that's that's what I wanted to share so at which point did you realize that you'd actually been sexually assaulted because obviously you mentioned that you're obviously quite drunk and everything so you probably didn't realize during the course of the night was it in the morning so because it was already quite late so we probably arrived at this um, house about the early hours of the morning and it was just after so we'd I'd said no and then this other man had left I was still left with one of the men um, in this bed and I basically I guess I must have just passed out or slept or whatever and then I found myself waking up in the morning and he was trying it again and I was sleepy and I wasn't really sure what was going on and that was when he decided to to sexually assault me so it was it was it was kind of like I just said no fallen asleep and then and then um being woken up by him trying to trying things so and doing things with me so it was yeah it was really not not very nice at that point when you realized you'd obviously been sexually assaulted how did Mm. that make you feel when it when it kind of really really hit home what had happened um to be honest I was I didn't really know what to say I felt like I felt really because I was so embarrassed I was so shocked by what had happened and the nature of how it happened and where I'd found myself and you know not not at all like really understanding how this had happened or you know I, I, I was completely I just felt like the worst kind of the worst feeling I ever felt really of just a completely low completely um dirty and and, and traumatized but it was that feeling of like not wanting to really acknowledge what had happened and and not like being so trauma like not even wanting to actually acknowledge that it was sexual assault that was maybe quite perhaps quite bad in that in that context did you did you speak to the um man when you woke up did you say anything to him at all yeah it's it's quite blurry i, I said um i said being like i don't know how i'm gonna get home or, or something and then things and he was sort of like it was it was really really not very much conversation and he kind of looked almost by the morning and when we when I actually left the house um he kind of seemed quite like guilty himself and quite sort of shocked himself and I I think even he realized what happened was wrong um 
and I think that maybe stopped me from really going and, and, and saying anything to the, the to the nurses in the sexual health clinic about it because I didn't I was so unsure about that line of, you know, what had happened and, and the nature of it that I didn't really feel like I was in a position to be able to, you know, say that it was it was, you know, sexual assault at the, at the time. But but looking back now I realised that that was sexual assault. Oh, well, Chloe, I'm I'm so, so sorry that this happened to you. It sounds absolutely horrible. Um, and I think you're incredibly brave for telling your story. Um, have you managed to speak to anyone about it, you know, whether that's a friend or um, someone professional? Um, well, I came back from the night, actually, in a bit of a state. So naturally, my... Um, my uh yeah my mum was the first one to to find out about it which was uh, you know not the, not the best thing really because obviously mum's worried quite a lot and it felt like really embarrassing for me to talk to her about that because of exactly what it was um but at least I had that support of someone actually being there um at that time because I wasn't really in the best state and then when I went to the the clinic I I was really I just got really really upset and they started to want to kind of bring out you know, forms about sexual assault. But I just, in the end, just said no. Just, just don't. Like, I don't, I don't want to go there. Is that fear of, oh, you know, like, is it, is it sexual assault? Is it not? Like, not that line not being so clear in our heads makes it really difficult to know sometimes. And I think more and more, like the, the stuff that's coming out through the media and and you know everything that's happened recently is is really making it clear to us that there are so many cases of sexual assault that we just we just dismiss. Has it affected um, any relationship since then? It definitely um, changed my relationship with my body for that period of time. Like I didn't look at myself in a very good way and I didn't, I kind of didn't feel clean anymore in the sense of, um, or like even like I had much, like I felt like my integrity and my self-respect had gone as well, that it had been taken away from me and that when I was with another man, um, it was just building that trust up again with men and and my body actually being able to build that trust because even if my mind was there my heart was there the body's a different thing you know like the whole area you know that whole area of the body it just there's so much psychological stuff that attaches to it and there's a lot of like muscle memory or, or deep body memory in that part of the body that I think takes a long time to to readjust and actually relax and and trust again so for me, actually, that's been quite a process. I think it has affected my 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 future relationships, um, and up until this point, really, in my life, where you know it was a long, it was a, a few a few years ago now. So it's so it's sort of um, you can say it's well and truly in the past, but those things, the effect afterwards and the long term effect, it just yeah, it lasts. Honestly, Chloe, I can't even begin to imagine um, what you went through. It just sounds literally sounds like a nightmare scenario I honestly can't even bear to think about it to be perfectly honest and like I said before I think you're incredibly brave for um for wanting to share your story um what was it that made you decide that you did want to share because I know you've said that you haven't actually told that many people I think it's something that I felt like I didn't really need to talk to a lot of people about because I didn't want to kind of make it define me, if that makes sense. But at the same time, to come on here and share that story anonymously feels like quite an important thing to do right now because I bet there's a lot of people who may be listening or can relate to this incident in some way, shape or form where, you know, maybe 
trying to like put something where you've been taken advantage of and found yourself in a situation you didn't want to be in and sexual assault has occurred but instead of really seeing it that way or, or being like taught that you can actually that sexual assault comes in many many forms you know we kind of brush it away and blame it on ourselves and say it was just a you know, my fault. And I think actually just to tell those people through sharing the story that it's definitely not your fault and no one has a right to do that to you or to your body. And you should feel safe being able to go on a night out with friends. And, you know, and even if um, there's miscommunication about who people are, like, that, you know, it's not a good thing to take a vulnerable person away when you can see that they're completely completely drunk and and do that to them like it's just that's that's definitely not your fault so I think that was why I wanted to share it just to all those other girls or women out there that have had this ex sort of experience just to, to let them know that they're definitely not alone in, in in feeling maybe some of those feelings that I felt about about this situation well thank you so much Chloe I can't tell you um how sort of moving your story has been really and I just hope um, I know you said it was a long time ago but I hope from now that um, I don't know you're able to move on and uh, not forget what happened but um, I guess just remember it and like you say share your story in the hope that if there are other girls out there that have suffered a similar experience that they're maybe um, you know encouraged to get help or speak to someone about it. Thank you Emma, thank you. That was Chloe there, amazingly brave uh, to come on the podcast and share her story. Thank you so, so much. And if you've got a story yourself, um, please feel free to tweet me at mjrealdavis or email thefemalestruggle at gmail.com. I haven't really shared any of my personal um, sexual assault stories. Uh, I have numerous, um, as I'm sure a lot of you do as well. I think one of the worst ones I can remember was um, when I was back at university, it was in my freshers week, and... Um, Obviously, I'm sure if you've been to uni, you know that Freshers' Week takes its toll. My God. Um, I think I'd been out about seven nights on the trot or something. It was ridiculous. I've been out constantly. So I had one night where I was like, oh, do you know what? I'm just not going to drink. I don't even know why that's actually relevant. I mean, it's not. But anyway, there you go. Told you now. I, I wasn't drinking that evening, this particular evening. Anyway, so I went to um, the like uni bar. You know, it wasn't like the most hardcore night out we went on. Um, it was me and all my flatmates from my new halls, who obviously I'd only known for about six days, seven days, something like that. Um, and we were all sort of dancing because they were all sort of drinking. They were much more involved, like in the thick of it all. You know, they they were playing silly games and stuff. And I was kind of joining in, but also kind of trying to chill a bit more because I was absolutely knackered, to be honest. And at one point, I don't really know what happened, but I sort of ended up on my own or, yeah, I was sort of looking for them. And obviously I felt, I can't really remember what happened, but I felt the classic, some guy uh, grabbed me from behind. I, I can't really remember whether he grabbed my bum or pulled me towards him or something. And obviously I turned around and said to him, look, sorry, could you could you not do that? I'm not very comfortable with that. Um, but he didn't care. And he like continued to sort of touch me and I didn't want him to. And so I said, look, I've got a boyfriend. Can you please stop? Uh, which obviously is ridiculous because it shouldn't make any difference, really. The fact I've got a boyfriend, the point is I didn't want him to touch me. So therefore he, he should have stopped touching me. But anyway, he continued um, and I told him, look, I've got a boyfriend. I, re I really don't want you to do that. And so what he did, sorry for the uh, graphic content, by the way, um, he literally put his hand up my dress, grabbed me, in the words of Donald Trump, by the pussy, 
by my vagina and pulled me towards him. Now, you can imagine, I was just in complete shock. I I just, it's one thing to have your bum grabbed, but for him to actually put his hand up my dress, um, you know, into very intimate areas of my body and physically pull pull me towards him. He was quite a big guy. You know, he's pretty strong. Um, I just was so shocked. I didn't know what to do. So obviously I completely pushed him off me because I'd like restrained, obviously, from using physical force up until this point. But it got to the point where I was like, this is ridiculous. I just pushed him off me. At which point, obviously, him and all his friends started being like, oh, for God's sake, no need to get violent. No need to get violent. That's assault. That's assault. Blah, blah, blah. And I was just in complete and utter shock. Um, and he said to me, oh, well, you're not going to be with your, that boyfriend any much longer if you're frigid like that. And that was that, really. It was absolutely horrible. And um, I just remember being completely, like, shattered by this experience. I was, you know, I was 18 or something. Um, I was in a completely new city, in a new place. I didn't know, you know, I didn't really... Ha- hadn't made any really solid friends there. Obviously, my housemates were absolutely lovely, don't get me wrong. But, you know, it wasn't like I had a family member close by or a really, really old friend or anything that I could turn to. So I just walked home on my own in tears. And it was absolutely horrible. And I'm sure this guy, wherever he is now, like I didn't know him. I couldn't even tell you what he looked like or his name or anything. But I'm sure he's, <laughs> he's not giving a second thought to this incident. But I think the point is that this was one of many. And yes, it probably was the worst. That is probably the worst, uh, you know, form of sexual assault I've experienced. Um, but there are loads. There are absolutely loads, including another one that I'd actually forgotten about, right? So when, again, I was at university, um, I had a sort of friend that I had kissed once. I'd made it pretty clear that I didn't really want anything more than, you know, just one sort of drunken kiss one evening at a party. And uh, because he was sort of in my circle of friends at the time, obviously we were still sort of seeing each other a fair bit, even though I'd not seen each other in that way, you know, just literally just bumping into each other occasionally. One evening when he wasn't really having the best time, he asked me if he could come and sleep on my floor in my uh, room in halls. And I already had a friend staying with me that evening. And I was super privileged, by the way, because I had a double bed in halls. So good. Uh, so my friend came and stayed in my bed with me. Uh, you know, she would, that was all planned. And this guy sort of kept pestering me to stay, kept pestering me to stay. And I said, OK, look, fine but you have to stay on the floor. And I made this so clear. You know, I said, my friend is staying in my bed. Uh, if you can, if you want to sleep on the floor instead of going to, to your own house and sleeping in your bed uh, because you don't want to be on your own this evening, okay, fine, you can stay on my floor, fine. Anyway, my friend left six o'clock in the morning or something very early. She had to go off to uh, for some other engagements. And I saw her off and everything was fine. And I checked him and he was still, uh, you know, asleep on the floor, absolutely fine. So I went back to bed. When I woke up a couple of hours later... He had climbed into my bed um, and had taken his clothes off. I think his boxers were still on, but the rest of his clothes were off. As you can imagine, again, I was completely shocked. I was just baffled. I was just, I just was like, why have you done this? I, uh, at no point did I say, yes, this is an invitation to get in my bed. Okay, my friend has left. That means you're fine to get in. That is not what the arrangement was whatsoever. Anyway, so a couple of weeks ago, uh, probably when the whole um, Harvey Weinstein thing first kicked off in the news, I received this message from um, the 
man in question, who for anonymity reasons we're going to call Pete, he sent me this message on Twitter. Again, so that he remains anonymous, uh, this isn't his real voice. Hi Emma. Sorry for the message out of the blue, but I just had something that I really needed to apologise to you for. Back in second year at uni, your first year, I stayed over on your floor one night in halls, but then got into bed with you later on in the evening. I don't know what made me rationalise that behaviour at the time, but I've since realised that was an unacceptable thing to do. I'm sure it made you feel uncomfortable or threatened, and that's completely reprehensible on my part. The least I can do is apologise, and I'm just sorry that apology didn't come sooner. I felt terrible about it for a long time, but that's no excuse. So, of course, this took me uh, by complete surprise, especially because uh, I haven't spoken to him um, if, I don't know, but in about three, probably about five years, actually. Um, we've had no real sort of contact. Um, if I'm completely honest, I'd forgotten it had happened. Uh, obviously, it reminded me of it, but I'd completely forgotten about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, there was another time I was sexually assaulted. Oh, just add that one to the list. Um, but actually... I thought it was quite good of him to apologise. I know this has been a really controversial thing, but the reason I thought it was quite good was because it made me realise that he realised that what he did was not okay. There will still be a lot of people out there that don't realise that they have sexually assaulted women or men. Like I keep saying, how many people grab your bum on a night out and think it's okay? Or how many people have touched your leg uh, or breast on the tube? If anything positive has come out of this Harvey Weinstein thing or the MPs in Westminster, if one positive thing has come out of this, it's that people are starting to realise where the line is. And yes, like this should have happened years ago, um, but it didn't. It's happening now. And so I decided that uh, it would be amazing if Pete would come on the podcast um, and talk to me about why he apologised to me. Why now? Why not before? And how it's made him change. Obviously, so that Pete remains anonymous, we have changed his name and changed his voice too. Hello, Pete. Hello. Thank you very much for uh, for coming on my um, podcast today. How are you? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. So first of all, I, I suppose I would say thank you very much for um, sending me your message. I just wondered what made you send it now? So it's, it's the kind of thing where I... I guess I hadn't thought about it for a couple of years afterwards, and then there was a point, I guess maybe maybe a year or two ago, when when I remembered it, and it was the kind of thing where I realised if if I was going to continue to or, or try to be a sort of better ally to to women and, and a better feminist in general, that 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 means having to face up to things in your past that could be problematic or or that you realise maybe weren't the way that you thought they were at the time. Um, and and this was was the example of that that I think was was biggest for me. And what sort of made me think about it now was everything that's been going on in the news and this idea of of uh, sort of what not quite what constitutes consent because what constitutes consent is obvious, but but the implication or actions like the it's hard to phrase I guess the the idea that um, things that may not have seemed like murky morally at the time actually were um but also that it was the kind of thing where i realized like it's not something that it wasn't for me the apology shouldn't be for me it should be for you 
um, because it's something that I didn't know how it affected you, and and it was reassuring for you to say that you that you didn't remember it happening, um, but that it's something that may have made you feel very uncomfortable, and an apology isn't something that should be making me feel better. It should be something that's that's designed to sort of work out how you felt about that and apologise for how I made you feel at the time. Was there a point when you were, say, watching the news where you suddenly thought, oh, actually, this uh, reminds me, I suppose, of of things that I've done? Um, not specifically. I think it was maybe more as part of the of a wider sort of global conversation about about uh, these kinds of incidents and, and what... Um, what leads people to, to sort of act in that way and the effect that it might have on people and, and general things that I've been reading about seeing on the news of, of how women can be made to feel in, in sort of everyday interactions with, with men who perhaps don't realise that what they're doing is hurtful um, and just a need to, to confront that and realise that we all have this part to play in, in sort of combating that aspect um, of of the patriarchy and general sort of male-female interactions. And do you think, um, you know, like you were saying, uh, obviously everything that's happened in the news has kind of brought it all up again, uh, especially for you. Do you think it will sort of encourage you to, I don't think change is quite the right word, but encourage you to, you know, think about your actions possibly more in the future? Definitely, and, I, and I, I hope it would for the majority of people who are seeing everything that's reported in the news at the moment. Um, and, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that I've changed anyway. It's certainly not an excuse, but I like to think that I've become a lot more conscientious since in terms of thinking about my interactions with women um, and and just thinking about that one particular incident in, in particular and how that sort of that very much affects my my thinking about it now in terms of I have this this incident in my past that I know that I needed to to not not necessarily atone for but certainly at least say like acknowledge that it was a problem um, and apologize to you for how it made you feel um, and I think I think definitely people should should take away from everything that's going on at the moment they can look at maybe how they've behaved in the past or, or how they're behaving now and look at that and think, what can I do better? What can I do to make women feel more comfortable? What can I do to not put women in any situations that would make them feel uncomfortable or threatened and use that to, to just be a better ally in general? You just heard from Pete there and uh, obviously I uh, don't want to defend him at all because like I said, what he did to me um, back in my first year at university was really, really um, not very pleasant at all at the time um but i do also think that admitting to yourself that you have done these things you have sexually assaulted someone is a pretty hard thing to do like i said earlier it's one thing to do these things it's another to realize what you're doing or what you've done and i hope um if anyone listening has you know possibly crossed a line somewhere where they thought oh actually i shouldn't have touch that person because I didn't actually have their permission to do that hopefully it's made you realize um that it probably was inappropriate and and reconsider your actions for the future I just want to finish by reading a couple of stories uh you you have sent me um to my email the female struggle at gmail.com 
I've had an email from um, an anonymous listener who says that one time I kissed a guy at um, a party. He kept trying to get me to go upstairs as he wanted to have sex and I kept refusing. Then when I tried to leave, I was sat on his lap. He physically would not let me get off his lap. He ended up pulling my dress up and putting his hands down my pants. I pushed him away and walked off and he kept acting like I was being frigid for the way I was acting. At the time, I felt horrid, but when I told some people, they seemed to think it was sort of funny, so I brushed it off, but it was so uncomfortable. That seems to be so common. It's only now that we're realising, actually, these these incidents, okay, you know, they're not so severe that they can necessarily affect your whole life, but they're so horrible at the time. And then when you tell other people, when they don't really seem to care, or they even laugh, that sort of almost normalises it and, and makes it almost acceptable which obviously is not at all. Then also this thing of being called frigid, you know, if you don't want to have sex. I absolutely detest that word. I think it's absolutely horrific. When have you ever heard it used in a context with a man, with a male? It's it's just not... I've, I don't think I've ever heard a male be referred to as frigid. It's generally always used for women, which is just horrific. You know, it is absolutely fine to not want to have sex with someone, especially someone that is relentlessly pressuring you. And hopefully uh, this, you know, phase we're going through at the moment will enable us as women to be stronger in saying, no, I don't feel comfortable with that. No, thank you. I don't want to do that. No, stop touching me where I don't want to be touched. My heart breaks for anyone that has been sexually assaulted. You know, like I've said earlier, um, I've experienced it to a certain degree, but I obviously my my cases were not very severe and I, I feel very lucky and fortunate that, um, that it, it wasn't worse. But I know there will be a lot of you listening where things have happened that were much, much worse. Um, my heart just breaks for you because I just, I can't imagine how horrible it must be to be in, in that situation. All I can say is use this as an opportunity to talk to people, um, you know, to open up about it if you feel comfortable enough to. There will always be someone who will listen to you. And, you know, if that's not a friend or a family member because you don't feel comfortable enough or, or you feel embarrassed or or whatever, then please, please contact Safeline. They are such a fantastic charity. Um, like I've said before, there are so many ways you can contact them. You know, it's all completely confidential. Safeline.org.uk. I'm sorry this hasn't been the cheeriest topic of conversation, topic of podcast this week, um, but I'm so pleased we talked about it. It's so important to talk about. Um, and I'll be back in the next episode, hopefully, with something uh, much cheerier and much more positive. Thank you so, so much for listening. Um, if if you love it, if you feel like uh, you want to spread the word or share, I will be so, so grateful. Please share, please review it on iTunes. Um, please, you know, spread the word. Thank you for listening to The Female Struggle Is Real. Real.